Hello, it's Robert. Hi. Hi there. How are you all? I'm good. How are you all today? We're good. Today we are talking with Robert Barry Fleming, the Executive Artistic Director at Actors Theatre of Louisville. Before his current position, he was an Associate Artistic Director at the Cleveland Playhouse and also the Director of Artistic Programming at Arena Stage. He has commissioned, developed, and championed multiple world premieres, including the 2017 Best Musical Tony Award winner, Dear Evan Hansen, and the 2017 Pulitzer Prize winner, Sweat, by Lynn Nottage. He's acted on Broadway, and he has directed across the country. We are so excited to speak with Robert Barry Fleming today. Um, so yeah, Robert, maybe you could um, share with us a little bit of your background that you bring with you to Louisville, and then we can um, hear more about Sure. I'm um, uh, currently serving as the Executive Artistic Director at Actors Theatre of Louisville, and my experience uh, professionally really started rooted in uh, working as an actor, as a performer, um, uh, both uh, as a youngster and then professionally uh, officially joining a union around 85 and 86, Actors' Equity. And um, for many years, uh, pursued that path and eventually uh, that led to my teaching and working in academia as well as uh, in uh, other um, institutions in a nonprofit context. And the nonprofit leadership uh, journey began uh, as director of artistic programming at Arena Stage in DC under Molly Smith. And uh, um, then I served as the assistant, uh, the associate artistic director at, at, uh, at uh, Cleveland Playhouse. Uh, under uh, Laura Kepley, and um, and just have uh, arrived about a year and a couple of months ago uh, here back in my home state um, at Actors Theater of Louisville. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in in that um, because of course you are part of sort of the sea change of a lot of the older artistic directors retiring. Um, younger, uh, more diverse artistic directors coming in across the country. Uh, and then we had mm -hmm. theater shut down. Mm -hmm. um, so I wonder about how you felt like, you know, did you feel like, um, you know, that you were really in the job, really um, able to start your, you know, your own agenda, your own work there before, um, before COVID? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because um, it, certainly uh, uh, this is such an exciting uh, place to do a podcast because um, so much of my work is rooted in um, uh, a super indigenous kind of focused emergent strategy space, uh, which for me just means um, that I think of things probably less linearly and less kind of dominant culture focused uh, as um, um many of our fields seem to kind of be defined. So the work that Actors Theater was working towards in terms of their um, 
being on mission with their programming and having that be comprehensive was something that happened prior to my arrival. It was a part of their description. So I felt like I was joining a movement already in progress and able to contribute to that, um, which is a really different uh, idea than it's uh, single ownership by one person who now their vision is making something happen. Uh, I think of myself as a cultural strategist and and think of myself as um, a humanist uh, who uses art to uh, realize um, a kind of transformative liberation. And that for me means um, not that I'm any less of a theater nerd than anybody else or love storytelling less than anybody else, but recognize um, my position in that is um, always about facilitation and always about um, you know, navigating whatever the, the vicissitudes of life bring, that I don't fight nature, I just um, try to listen to what I'm being uh, asked to pay attention to. So, um, uh, and I think for Black people, I think for queer people, if you're adapting well and you're managing with some level of um, being able to function, that is a, a coping mechanism that you uh, adapt or, or just a mode of moving through life that you have. So um, the pandemic, of course, is incredibly disruptive. It's incredibly um, detrimental to our field as it's structured. Uh, it's also an opportunity to rethink some operating assumptions that were already antiquated and not working uh, and that were based in some of the uh, larger existential problems and challenges that North America has had. Uh, and we are just reflecting some of those in our own field. So when uh, all of that hit, I simply felt like it was time to continue to rethink what still applied and what needed to be adapted to. Suzanne and I podcast from our own home state um, with all of its, you know, attendant baggage. That seems interesting to dig into. What is that returning home of sorts like? Um, and if it isn't home, what is that like? Uh, mm -hmm. But that other track is, you know, what, what are some of those structures um, that are now revealed as not functioning in a more clear way than so I'm not sure where you feel drawn, but those are the two things that, that I'm really drawn to. Yeah, I, they're so deeply related and so uh, easy to kind of put, put them together for me in some way because that's, I m spend a lot of time meditating on those connections. Um, when I left the state, I, I came to the state of Kentucky when my father got an academic po position at a land-grant Black institution called Kentucky State College in Frankfurt, which is about 60 minutes from here. My mother ended up at a predominantly white institution, the University of Kentucky, um, both of them as PhDs in the sciences. Um, my mother had a social science background, actually had done all her coursework to be a child psychologist, but chose not to do that and led into nursing. And so I think having my dad be a biologist and my mother kind of having that orientation, they were both about service, they were both about education, and they both were already problematizing for both of their sons a lot of operating assumptions. Um, and so there was always a level of critical thinking disruption that made uh, the indoctrination process into certain um, ideas of um, supremacy not root or kind of not have a firm enough grasp to kind of get me into a space where I couldn't disrupt them um, 
through other circumstances. This is a state that I experienced uh, serious trauma and serious experience. Uh, uh, at five years old, I had a, um, I was raped by a, I had another, uh, by a neighbor. I had um, ongoing kind of abuse in that way that had happened. And, uh, and being in a state that generally has a pretty ambivalent relationship uh, to its um, history with uh, uh, blackness and anti-blackness, um, being in a place where a plantation capital uh, capitalism uh, thrived and the vestigial elements of that continue to resonate. Um, all of those things, when you put those kinds of personal traumas matching with um, cultural mores, one of the things we were all told, you don't talk about sex, religion, or politics, it's impolite. Uh, so perfect storm for never um, having the kind of dialogue that would help move one from the position of trauma into healing. Um, so you have a, and uh, our state has a, a economic system around bourbonism as a tourism uh, money-making thing. So, um, you know, none of these things uh, separately are, are um, um, have a specific kind of impact. But I think when you put them all together, you know that there's certain vulnerabilities in environments like that. So uh, that are racially uh, in inclined, uh, one's relationship to alcohol in a country that um, often needs to medicate in one form or another. Um, you know, uh, and then you have uh, Kentucky is still has the highest incidence of child abuse in the country only. So, and I believe Indiana is second. Um, so you just have kind of a, uh, uh, for a state that I absolutely love and find uh, just the nexus of the future um, possibilities of what we can be as a nation um, that comes out of the formidable challenge of those things. And I think the American regional theater and just the theater in general, if you add that in um, the loss of subscriptions, the loss of, uh, um, you know, the economic landscape and the realities around uh, ways that regional theaters in particular have been changed, have, have been challenged in addition to just some of the realities around commodifying art in certain kinds of ways without meaningful connection with the community in which you uh, are instituted creates just a kind of disconnect um, that now we're seeing really amplified. So the question for me has been always, how do we move more into healing spaces, more authentic spaces about where we've been, uh, uh, clear narratives about who we are that aren't based in um, a shame cycle, but uh, in being able to understand the structural and systemic reasons why all of those things have a certain kind of persistent, ubiquitous um, presence uh, in that ecosystem. Uh, and how can you as an organization that is rooted in storytelling uh, and un understand the wider scope and applications of what that actually means for a species that knows themselves, their own social location, and their relationship to the world through story. So that just positions my work uh, and the work that we do in our discipline in a, a more substantive space than diversion or entertainment or supposed to be a safe place. 
becomes a place where I can do what I just did in the last 10 minutes, speak the unspeakable around some things, draw some parallels and begin to say, uh, is there something here that's worthy of investigation um, that might be transformative, liberating and um, create more health? Uh, and uh, I think that can be done in something that also entertains and uplifts, but one has to understand and have a paradigm for that to be possible. And so I think that's part of my job to help facilitate that and withstand the fragility around um, speaking the unspeakable, knowing that that will cause discomfort uh, and, and uh, enact people reacting violently to that in order to maintain the narratives that they have grown to feel comfortable or understand the world in. I will say, um, you know, it has given us, I think, an opportunity, the, the fact that live event gathering is not something that is uh, feasible for us at this moment. Um, so we've moved things to a virtual platform. It's given us a chance to have a responsivity to what is happening uh, in our community and in the world that we have not previously had. When you're doing a traditional season, you're trying to be somewhat prescient that all six to eight of your shows in some way that you're choosing for that season or what you're choosing for Humana has resonance um, at that moment in time and speaks to the audience in a visceral and immediate way. But that needs to be somewhat uh, different of a, a different process than what maybe someone who's doing a daily news program, uh, daily or weekly or monthly uh, reflection on those same things. And um, so we've kind of had a trifecta of both having a podcast ourselves uh, called Borrowed Wisdom that I host, uh, Un Actors Unscripted, which is a weekly panel, uh, and Facebook Live events prior to starting to roll out the 25 plus uh, projects that we uh, create, began to uh, engage creation in um, to roll out over the next year uh, on a digital platform, uh, given us a chance to really be in conversation with our community through spoken word artists, um, poetry readings, uh, meditations on those things, speaking to uh, uh, our fellow um, fellows who have equal expertise in uh, completely different sectors than the theater and ask how does uh, social science, how does history, how does city planning, having a conversation along the lines about redlining, how does all of them, how do all of these things start to help us tell stories that truly do our, uh, have us on mission, unlocking human potential, building community and enriching lives? Um, through theater and challenging the definition of what theater is and does. Um, so I feel like Brianna's uh, untimely death, that um, had clear systemic and legal and policy uh, implications that were fraught and corrosive and amplified uh, the systemic racism that we have um, come to have a reckoning with. Uh, uh, and had to navigate kind of the relationship between the, the bio, the bio uh, atmosphere of the country um, uh, with this public health crisis around uh, 
COVID-19 kind of intersecting with, uh, you know, how policy has led to the other public health crisis of systemic racism and, and us having to come to account on both cases and see ourselves, um, see how responsive we're able to be uh, or not um, when faced with those challenges. So we've been very fortunate in being able to keep finding venues to tell those stories, reflect those stories, um, and be in conversation with our community, uh, both in a local, regional, national, and international um, uh, manner. So um, this is Suzanne, and the things that you're talking about uh, reminded me I was on yet another webinar. <laughs> uh, last week that was hosted by um, Khalid Long about um, making our syllabi anti-racist and how to look into that, re-look at our pedagogy in theater and dance classes. And one of the things that was talked about was this idea of being open and personal with your students, explaining to our students, this is the lens that I come from. And and everything that I teach you is coming is coming from the fact that this is who I am and this is what I believe. And hearing you speak about your past and your present and the future uh, made me think about that clearly, I believe it sounds like you are your art through this lens and, and looking to lead Actors Theater of Louisville through this lens. So my, my question um, is twofold. One is, you know, this idea of the season and picking six eight shows a, you know, a year or two years out that hopefully will resonate. I think that you will, um, when we're back up, continue to use that model. And then the other part, of course, is the Humana Festival, which is one of the most important uh, new work incubators in the country. Um, how are you looking at continuing that and what are you looking for from the stories that you put on the stage or on our screens or in our ears at this point um, from, from the Humana Festival? Yeah, such great questions. Um, what comes to mind, I, I was, I, when I got my news this morning, I saw one headline that said, um, uh, this Biden, Biden-Harris ticket is not about, um, uh, uh, with Kamala Harris, it's not about uh, a black woman having this position. It's about the future. And, and it, it, it's, and it reminds me of like, you know, I didn't read the article, but what I immediately thought of when I saw that is um, all of these structures and systems um, tell you something about the system that is explicit. And then that, which is not explicit. Um, and, uh, 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 who it's for and how it's done and all of those things are encoded or coded in uh, other communication and other structures and systems. And the six to eight shows has an operating assumption that I can really have a conversation with my stakeholders that is um, doing what my mission suggests, uh, 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 that I am unlocking human potential, building community and enriching lives through theater by by doing this kind of thing uh, in this structure, which, you know, I think for many of us has already been a, 
like, I don't know that that's really true. I think we keep talking about even having conversations and the question are, is, are they really conversations? And we talk about our community. And I think the question is, which community are you talking about? Um, as if it's one monolithic group, because there are people who, even if they have engaged with us, having um, come to our theater for many, many years, uh, even as a child, you hear stories of you. It was the first theater experience I had and hooked me for life. And I've also heard stories. I Yes, I came to your theater when I was a child for Dracula. And I will tell you now as a public official in this city who's been here my whole life, I have never felt comfortable in that space. Um, so I've heard both. Um, I've experienced both. Um, and and I recognize that that's not about any bad bad actors, no pun intended. That's about um, uh, systems and structures. Uh, and um, what does radical hospitality and extravagant welcome and engagement look and feel like? And what needs to be adjusted when you have heard the message that it's... Um, there's parts of this that have worked to do certain things and frustrated and complicated other things. So I, so it's a long answer to just say, uh, we have launched Actors Theatre Direct, which is a virtual platform. Uh, this isn't a stopgap for us. This is uh, another mode of continuing to tell stories. And we look forward to reincorporating live event gathering uh, as soon as that's safe and possible to do so. Um, uh, it's not a replacement and, and it's not a stopgap. Um, uh, and we are not saying it's theater. We're saying it's storytelling and it's a manner of saying, um, there was a time I think that people thought that Anna Devere Smith work in Fires in the Mirror wasn't acting. Um, uh, these debates get uh, somewhat academic in the sense of, uh, or theoretical in the sense of, is it useful to have a clear cut definition and who is that for what is and isn't theater? And is it just simply a diversion from having the concrete conversation and dialogue that needs to be had uh, around things that lock us into patterns that don't work? Uh, so uh, I think, yes, we will continue to investigate what, um, how we can in a capitalistic society with the capacity that we have navigate getting the most urgent, uh, engaging and compelling stories uh, that keep us rooted in our mission and allow our stakeholders to derive deep value um, from us, whether it's on a virtual platform or in live event gathering or some hybrid of the two. Um, we're very committed to art. We're committed to um, uh, exploring emergent technologies and the ability for both of those to socially transform and liberate and connect us uh, to one another in a more deep and meaningful way. Um, and so we're excited about the opportunity to continue to explore what that looks like in um, uh, all, all platforms that that's possible to do so. And I'm curious, you've used the word storytelling and really named um, the individual and systemic traumas that many of us navigate socially. And as I was reflecting on those approaches with Suzanne and really um, kind of digging into what what is it that theater makes possible in 
um, presenting, um, whether fictionalized or not, story to us? And then in what ways is this intentional processing moment that seems to be more and more embedded in certain theatrical productions? Um, in what way is that theater? In what way is that storytelling? In what way is that clinical work? <laughs> and do we have to make sense of that? Do we have to distinguish that as we attempt to tell and perform these stories? So I'm curious what your thoughts are around that. Yeah, just beautifully stated. I, you know, one of the things I think when your practice is um, starts to be fused also with your healing processes and um, uh, critical awareness uh, uh, moments of increasing your historical context and understanding in a deeply uh, intersectional way and um, interdisciplinary way uh, what you're up to. Uh, in this life and what you're learning to understand about constructs and constructing self and constructing community. Um, it, it's, it becomes a really exciting enterprise, I think, and can be a flooding one without um, kind of having a lifelong learners and that kind of investigative and uh, uh, kind of spirit of inquiry as opposed to having to have answers. You know, there's certain traps that don't allow growth and some that just uh, help create space for it. Um, and I think uh, the idea, uh, Anna, for me, like the Pomo Afro Homos or other uh, um, uh, artists that uh, inspired me, the Five Lesbian Brothers or um, Ron Vodder from the Wooster Group, there's certain kinds of artists that always had a kind of intersectional um, way that they practiced and their art was cultivated. Um, and uh, I was always fans of uh, so many people when I watched how um, effortlessly they kind of moved in spaces of um, advocacy, uh, health and examination of health uh, through storytelling, through dramatizing, um, even just Anna's, uh, you know, her ability to recognize as a, 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 a light-skinned woman of color of size who has a kind of fluid, both um, ability to inhabit her masculine as well as her feminine sides. Just her very person is transformative depending on who she and was embodying from moment to moment and to have those stories of so many people flooded through her figure on a stage was deeply liberating. And for me, a signifier and a reminder of how interconnected we are. Uh, it reminded me, my father, while deeply Afrocentric said race uh, is a construct, a social construct it is not a biological reality. Uh, that that data came out in 2000 to, um, you know, really deeply verify that. Um, and, and yet the impact that that has had where the distortion, like we're in the matrix without the red pill, thinking we're uh, one thing while we are really uh, experiencing another, that is the kind of reckoning that I think art, uh, science, uh, social science, history, advocacy, policy, uh, um, all of these areas, there's a way to be in true 
conversation about where we are and where we aren't um, and increase our awareness and increase our effectiveness in all of those fields. I, I think the best art has to also take in process as well as product, which is a really kind of antithetical idea to anything for the art that often we're told that there must be sacrifice that is often pathological and unhealthy. And you hear those stories of like people just giving their all for something um, to make themselves martyrs without, uh, and, and this, with the operating assumption that you get the best when people uh, do that, as opposed to, you know, having a therapist who said to me, can you imagine how great Charlie Parker would have been without the, the addictive problems that these are people who were great in spite of those things, not because of that's, that's kind of revolutionary. If you've grown up in the culture of um, uh, entertainment, because it's the stories of Judy Garland uh, and seeing all kinds of pathology and um, trauma often that we think genius lives in those spaces. Um, but when you move in the field, you begin to find geniuses like Mayor Winningham who are, equally great artists and very sane people. And, and it immediately blows up the idea that all that trauma has to constantly be on display and uh, exhibited in a pathological way for you to get brilliant work. Um, so it's th that those kinds of disruptive assumptions that again, destabilize and create often anger and frustration when you don't sign off on those stories because that benefits somebody for those stories to maintain to be maintained and if you're disrupting them you're disrupting that that uh system uh but i'm i'm thrilled that we're at a moment where things just are not working and uh, like with any addictive system at a certain point it stops working um something that might have worked very well and i think supremacist ideology uh, in the short run benefited a monolithic group uh, and now it's kind of not working for anybody so thus we're having this moment you know i just want to punch these people oh danielle <laughs> i just got here hi the right moment where yeah. suzanne is saying her you know white rage at other white people <laughs> do the very and get the most credit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, today we are talking with Danielle Drakes, uh, who's a multifaceted theater professional with extensive experience in performance, directing, and arts administration. Danielle has dedicated her career to using theater as a tool for envisioning a more empathetic and equitable society. Most recently, she directed the regional premiere of Kill Move Paradise at Rep Stage in Maryland. She has worked at Arena Stage, the Kennedy Center, and she originated the role of Elizabeth Keckley in Ford Theater's History on Foot. And of course, I know Danielle from our days as graduate students at the Catholic University of America. So, um, so thank you so much for coming on Traumaturgy and joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. I um, remember when Suzanne made the decision to go to Catholic University, and then I remember mm -hmm. 
just um, how many exciting conversations she was having about her cohort. And then as the new cohorts were entering. Uh, so that's when I first started to hear your name in mm -hmm. her life. And um, also just being able to kind of follow your career through her updates um, has been really fascinating. So I'm super excited about the conversation today. Cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, Danielle is such a multi-hyphenate theater artist, you know, which I think a lot of us are, but we for so long are pigeonholed into you have to be one thing, you can't be another, you know, like if, if you write grants, you can't be an actor. And if you're an actor, you can't be someone, you know, who is interested in, you know, social protest or what, mm -hmm. like whatever. And um, so how, how have you been able to very successfully navigate the different parts of your career? Survival. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, um, I'll say more about that. No, it's just, it's just that, um, I mean, I was taught, right? I was taught as an actor, you need to be able to do lots of different things. Not only so that when you are hired to breathe life into another person, but to experience, to have that experience. Um, and in order to know and do what all kinds of other people would do, you use your own skills to, to make it through. Have you ever found, because um, I found um, when I was in New York, people, um, you know, if I was doing arts administration, the people that were performers were often like, well, you're not a real performer then. Have you ever found that? Or have you always found, because you've, like, I would say mostly in D.C., in the D.C. area, have you found that those artists have been, um, you know, inclusive with you as, as a multi-hyphenate, as someone who can do all sorts of different things? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's, it's interesting. Um just it's interesting because I I work on things that I really 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 want to do um and so you know I'm in it 100% and so folks know that I'm I'm all in um and I was not all in you know I wasn't acting for a long time having children mm -hmm. um <laughs> Yep. producing other producing human beings um <laughs> you were breathing and like so yes 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 and so the response is always like oh you still or mm -hmm. oh you oh we didn't know you and yes I've been here I've been in DC I've been you know like who are you yeah. <laughs> but um but for me it just has to do with what what rooms do I want to be in and who do I need to be when I'm in that room? Mm. So do I feel like I have to explain, you know, that I enjoy doing all kinds of different things, right? It doesn't mean I'm just going to go anywhere and manage somebody's organization or get up on anybody's stage. So that's that on that. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah, no. It, well, I mean, you know. Um, but you know, because, sorry, I just wanted yeah. to say, because it's yeah. so, it's so competitive and I know things are changing, right? Everything about how we were, you know, the the codes, right? Mm-hmm. The code of conduct. And uh, I never waited tables, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's something that typically, you mm-hmm. know, you find yourself enjoy doing and or not enjoy doing it but for survival I could not function in a restaurant I, I could not function so I, I found lots of other things and yeah yeah and that's what I was you know going to say that exactly you know the fact that you know, you've, you've done, you know, theater education and arts administration alongside the acting and directing, um, you know, has given you, I mean, my gosh, you have a really long career, not to, not to like out us for how old we are at this point, but you know, um, you know, you're, you're still in it and you're in, in a way I see you right now as having a real, um, renaissance and, um, in your in your performance career in your directing career um you're getting so many great opportunities um what i would say maybe a little bit later right because we came out of grad school a little while ago mm-hmm. um, so it's great it's inspiring and and it's in due time i think right i mean i i i don't um I don't regret anything. And I've got these two little crazy monsters that, um, that remind me, that remind me of my first love, which is acting. Mm. Um, and that's how I'm connected to all of the, all of the work that I do is first and foremost as an actor. I, I'm just really struck by that because when Renee um, Goldsbury won the Tony Award um, in her acceptance speech, she really was very like transparent and clear about her role as a mother and how the nomination and the award itself meant so much in the context of her getting to own that identity and own that role and still mm-hmm. have roles <laughs> and have the role right. that brought right. So. Um, I don't know if you watched that, you know, award season and if you saw that acceptance speech. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, I, I did see that. And, you know, I got a little emotional. (laughs) Um, Because again, for so long, having to choose, right, family over your profession um, having to compromise, we all do it. That's life. Mm-hmm. But that moment when you are done doing the thing you were focused on, and now you got to get back to the other work. <laughs> and that's what I feel like, you know, she was able to represent up there um, and, and take on, take on the pride of it because, you know, these little beings are going to change the world. Right. So 
Danielle, I'm sure you saw um, center stages um, pledges in response to um, We See You White American Theater. And, you know, part of it was the shortening of the work week and the shortening of the rehearsals and mm-hmm. the, you know, eliminating of the 10 out of 12, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is important for so many reasons, but I think very much so for working um, mothers and fathers who need to be with their families. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So who, who can work a 45, 40, 50 hours, 60 hours and, and like really expect to efficiently and healthily mm-hmm. <laughs> live, right? Like live, have family, uh, enjoy life like we are not we are not on this planet we were born to be great first off we were born to be great and so everything you do needs to be an offering so this idea that there are changes that can be made readily right yeah we, everybody can change. Anybody can change. Um, it's sustaining that change. It's making that change and then finding the new thing, right? Not just misshapening it for a time. So, um, so it sounds to me from, from what you are saying that, um, you might have some concerns about the long-term changes that theaters are going to make that, um, that maybe it sounds like theaters, theater organizations are sort of making the quick and easy short-term change, but we'll, we'll sort of wait and see if it's um, real change. Yeah. I, and I say it with love. Yes. I, yeah. Totally. Right. Like yeah. let's, because we're still in this pandemic Mm-hmm. we're not in a second phase of anything. Right. Like we keep talking about that's going to happen, that's going to happen, and it's going to happen. But we are still, we are still right here. And um, there are a lot of people that think that things are going to go back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's particularly in our industry um, because of the way it's set up. Um, and every theater that had an artistic director and a managing director needs to really, really be about that change and change the whole setup. So people got to lose power. Yeah. Right? Some place, some, some folks out here, I'm, don't know exactly who, but I have been reading, right, along with Center Stage, Making Commitment. Um, um, and and that, that's, that's all worker employment related stuff. Right. That's not even, you know, it's just wild. It's wild to think about, you know, it's, it's as if, it is as if it's, it's a uh, a trend or something to to bandwagon. But what we know is that we need to be working on things right now 
we need to be planning and imagining new, like new imagining, not reimagining. So yeah, I mean, I, I say that, but I hope it's, I hope it's going to sustain. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the circumstances of the global economy being what they are, <laughs> there's definitely changes. And mm-hmm. those are just thinking about the status quo being 45 to 60 hours and just recognizing not only, you know, for parenting individuals, but just communities in general, right? Like the mm-hmm. most creative resources of a given community being removed from that community for that length of time and yet somehow we're expecting you know you're an artist of color we're somehow expecting children of color in your community to be motivated by the career you get to have but they don't get to see that career <laughs> like, that's great, great how does that how does that nurture these resources in our next generation if we can't make the people who have this available right if we if we have to capitalize all of their you know time wakeful time Mm -hmm. how is any industry in any community sustained by that they're they're not right yeah they're not um what we what what many folks already have awakened to know is that things just hit different in 2020 (laughs) on all different right Mm -hmm. all the isms Mm -hmm. all the isms everything just hits a little different you thought January 2020 (laughs) you know was something and then every month since um but we gotta have hope, mm-hmm. right? Like all cliche, um, because it, I don't know. A, a long time ago, um, I decided to to stay positive about things. Um, but what I what I mis- what I made a mistake on was thinking that it would happen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell you that it's yeah my my grand my great grandchildren's children might see some of this, but that's only if we keep going, if we keep moving, if we keep telling the stories that that need to be told, right? If the young people, I mean, we've been going back and forth with arts in the school and not, and what resources do we have? But each, it starts with the individual and each one of us has to just make sure we want to, we want to raise up good human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Found them, right? Like that's part of that whole letter. Even this set of conversations we're having on this podcast, right? That in, in many ways, that's what each of these actions are contributing to major change a new way right 
Well, you know, we got affirmed for our teaching in the first episode, Suzanne, and now we're learning <laughs> that we're changing the world just by talking to ourselves. And so I feel like I think we might be done the podcast series. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, before no, don't we, be done, yeah, don't be know. done because <laughs> I just, I just got hip to it. And I think it's fantastic, especially considering the work that I do. Yeah. Well, we want to hear more about that. And I know that we wanted to um, get into some specific questions about the sustainability personally of this work when you have roles like Mrs. Keckley um, mm -hmm. that you're breathing life into in such difficult ways. Um, but I think I cut Suzanne off. So maybe you no, have. No, no, absolutely. That's absolutely like, and I didn't realize until I read your bio that you had actually originated that role, which, um, which I can only imagine the research and dramaturgical, um, you know, study that you had to do in that case. So I'd love to hear about what that process was for you as an actor. Um, you know, what, what made you take that role on and yeah, how did you, um, shape it to be the first? Mm -hmm. Well, to be honest, I literally was just the actor. Um, I happened upon it. It was originally cast and the plan was that it was going to happen. And the actor had to, or her father passed away, I think. And so they were looking for a replacement. And I happened to not be waiting for someone to hire me as an actor. <laughs> um, so in two and a half months is what I had. Um, from the first reading to the first audience, and uh, it was it's a it was a lot, but um, it's a lot to to learn. And if you know Suzanne, you know I can't remember lines. No, I can't um. anymore either. Um, <laughs> you know what I was just thinking for for uh, for people listening who don't know that Ford's theater does this type of work can you actually explain what sure. you did yeah what this was yeah. yes so this was Ford's theater Ford's theater's history on foot tour uh 90 minute historical figure in costume microphone right um walking for 90 minutes with breaks but leading a tour of folks around Washington, D.C. Um, that includes the home of Elizabeth Keckley, who I portrayed, who was Mary Todd Lincoln's seamstress for many, many, many years. Um, and they ended up being very, very close friends. Um, and as it happens, um, despite her success, right, and all of the things that she was able to do, like free herself from enslavement and her son uh, amidst lots of other harrowing stories. Um, but that's, that's what it was, the history on foot. The other tour, right? That was, that was my character. The other tour was uh, McDevitt, a police officer, the evening that Lincoln was shot. Um, so you can imagine how exciting, right? 
how exciting that one would be. And it was the one that would sell out. Because not everybody wanted to come hear a sad story. And I think at that time, because this was 2009. And at that time, taking on a role like this, some folks thought, you know, like, oh, she must need, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but for me, being, being connected to history has always been key for me. I, I geek out over narratives and imagine, you know, who, who folks were. So doing the study, coming up with who she is, how she speaks, um, has had everything to do with the, the words, the words and, and how they were written. So you, you, you said that um, you got a little bit of pushback for portraying, um, you know, this, this former slave who, yes, went on to, exactly, she bought her freedom, she, you know, using her skill set, went on to be, you know, yes, one of Mary Todd Lincoln's, you know, confidants. Um, but but got- she also, she also died broke. She died broke, and she died at uh, in the home, right? The older folks' home that she actually established in here in DC for free free folks that um, were elderly. Anywho, sorry. No, no, no. Exactly. I mean, that's the you know exactly, it, and we hear that a lot. Unfortunately, that uh, it people in their lifetime are often not. Um, given their due in the way that we would have hoped they were. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Um, so you, so did you feel like, I mean, you were excited to, to tell people about this person who, for, yeah. you know, because of the way that history is taught in America, you know, a lot of people don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get to bring her to life, but, um, but you also got pushback from some people about, about portraying her. Well, yeah. Um, they don't know that how hard it is, you know, for me, because acting, acting is, is a lot of work. Um, and every role that I take, it has to, it has to connect to my core in some way, shape or form. Um, and performing Elizabeth Keckley was a way for me to honor her and all the other black women that came before me that didn't get to free themselves that didn't get to do all the things you know elizabeth keckley wrote a book she published a book called behind the scenes and within a few weeks um there was a parody right a parody chapter in the paper called behind the scenes and it was some racist folk mocking her book 
that was published. Um, so, you know, in, in, the, in the research, because you have to dig into it, you also have to separate a lot. Um, but yeah, just really being able to say like, I took care. I took care of um, Elizabeth Keckley. Mm. Can you tell us a time during that set of performances where the weight of that was particularly heavy and just what that was like and how you got through that? Every time it rained because the environment, right? We're, we're here in the 21st century and I'm imagining I'm walking through mud and muck mm -hmm. and horse stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and when it rained, it just gave it a, a realness. Um, it was frustrating for the audience, but it gave a realness and it gave a, you know, like anything about um, environmental theater, right? Everything we know about it, that's, that's the experience. And so with the rain, for me also comes very heavy, heavy emotion. Um, and so I just let, the, you know, I literally let the water pour. Mm -hmm. and um and just breathe through it because Danielle might be tired <laughs> mm -hmm. but Elizabeth did a whole lot more walking than I've ever done <laughs> uh, yeah that that right there you've just nailed the burden of racial trauma <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. right that like no matter what the moment is that that you might find yourself navigating there is just this stark you know series of life newsreel clips <laughs> of hoses on children mm -hmm. dogs and burning churches mm -hmm. yeah um and everything folks say about history repeating itself um it will when we let it um and not everybody not everybody is ready to change clearly but um but humanity because like we're all human mm. all of this is because somebody thought in order to maintain power they needed to set these systems up. And they're fallen, so. They're fallen. What is your thoughts, uh, you know, having embodied Elizabeth for the length of time that you did? And I'm sure there's ways that she's still with you, but, you know, what are your thoughts about how she understood the systems that she was navigating? Uh, she, yeah, she, she, she was an entrepreneur, a black entrepreneur. She knew right from wrong. She 
was committed, right? She, she paid, she had to earn money while she was enslaved. And when she got $1,200, she was told that would purchase her freedom. She got, she earned, <laughs> imagine how long that took. She earned $1,200 and then was told she couldn't take her son. Right? Yeah, that was the system, the munition system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, we, we, there's a lot, there's a lot Black folks are dealing with. Um, and we just going to keep dealing with them until folks that need to fix it, fix it. (laughs) And that too is the individual work, right? That's individual work that has to happen. Um, And so everything about the Elizabeth Keckley and portraying her, you know, what do do I experience? What do I feel when I think about, you know, having to hustle hustle she was grinding before grind culture you know (laughs) um it's yeah it's just it's it's wild and the least the least we could do is is actually learn about these stories because especially now that we know Mm. now that a lot of a lot of people i love dearly were shocked and appalled to learn this year that they did not learn the truth. Mm. Um, but we we just gotta take care of ourselves as we learn it. So beyond so you know beyond your time as an as an actor doing that, you know, recently, more recently you've been um, directing but the themes of the shows that you've been directing have also been, you know, extremely heavy um, dealing with, you know, racial violence um, and trauma with, you know, Kill Move Paradise, um, Clytemnestra. So how, how do you take care of you when this is the work that you are being offered and feel called to do? Yeah. What, what do you do? to take care well that's a great question um so i could say i i pray i meditate i exercise and i trust the work i trust the story because I'll be honest with you, you know, and you said wonderful things about me earlier. And it is, it's actually shocking to me to like think about just in this last year, Twilight, mm. Clytemnestra, Othello, and then Kill Move Paradise. And for me, it's about, it's the journey, right? Because I didn't set out thinking all right, I'm going to do all these, these things, but it's, but it's the, 
it's the care, it's the curiosity. Um, and if we don't tell the stories in all the ways, right? If we don't find the ways that we can engage and get these messages across, then what, you know, then what are we doing? Yeah. No, and again, I think this comes back to, you know, the gatekeepers or whatever, like, these stories are really important. um, And it'd be great if it wasn't um, all white people deciding that to tell them, but letting all people, all BIPOC people decide what stories are important and how they want to tell them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and that right there, that right there is because um, we've seen the change. We've seen women, right? Playwrights. We've seen uh, BIPOC playwrights and artists doing more. And that's wonderful. Um because that's the way it should be. But yes, like you said, it's it's the gatekeeping that gets us into trouble. Um, and folks realize it and realize that even amidst this capitalism, um, our work, our work is heart work. In order to bring you deeper into the dynamic between Elizabeth Keckley and Mary Todd Lincoln, we thought we would bring you this short play written by Susan Laurie Parks uh, as part of her 365-day plays, Mrs. Keckley and Mrs. Lincoln, with Tajora Davis portraying Mrs. Keckley and Chrissy Nichol portraying Mrs. Lincoln. wear my red your red yes your red is very red you think mm-hmm. they'll all be looking at me though the red will shut them up they've got things to shut them up already not to disagree with you ma'am but the war is preying heavy on their minds preying heavy on their minds I like that. Thank you, ma'am. Ugh, I hate when you call me that, ma'am. I want to feel young. I want to feel like I have my whole life ahead of me. I had 26 suitors in one season. But you look down at the floor. You've heard me tell that story already. Is that the difference between a young girl of 15 and a married woman, do you think? The young girl does not repeat herself while the old married woman... Twenty-six suitors in one season. A young girl would repeat that because it is worth repeating. It bears repeating. And the things I bear and the children I have born. Call me Mary. What about your blue? Are you hard of hearing, Mrs. Keckley? Should we call in Dr. Wilk and have you fitted for an ear trumpet? Your yellow would suit the occasion, ma'am. Mary, I won't consider another dress or another thing. I won't move a muscle or take another breath until you call me Mary. 
Your yellow would suit the occasion. Mary. <sighs> it feels good to breathe again, Elizabeth. You are blushing. <laughs> I can see the color coming up. It makes you look purple. It makes you look purple, Elizabeth. You need to get dressed, Mary. We both live in this country. We both inhabit the White House. You know what it's like living here in the joyless gloom while the war continues. Sunshine, rain, snow, spring, and still the war continues. An admirable thing. Like a woman. Wars female, wouldn't you say? Because it is so tenacious. Just a little longer. It's only for fun. I'll call you Elizabeth, and you call me Mary. For just a little longer. Just for fun. The white, I think, Mary. Why didn't we think of that before? The white with the red roses, and cut slow, so low that the president will look at me, and his eyes will travel from my eyes down to my mouth, and then fall into the chasm of my bosom. Twenty-six suitors, Elizabeth, and he was the tallest. <laughs> of course, I didn't know that at the time. I was only a girl. You didn't know that all tall drinks of water are well equipped? I'll swear an oath on my marriage bed. I'll swear that I had no idea. But on my marriage bed, Elizabeth, I tell you, Mary did discover. He's a fine man, Mary. I'll give him that. Let's get you dressed. We wouldn't want to keep your president waiting. He's your president, too. Step into your dress. There, that's it. Pretty as a picture. What in God's name was that? Just the sound of a car backfiring. The sound of a what wedding? Just the sound of the war, ma'am. Getting closer. I thought you said something else. Take a look in the mirror, ma'am. See how pretty you look? We're going to see our American cousin tonight. I wonder if it's any good. It's a comedy. A comedy? <laughs> we are the lucky ones, Mrs. Keckley. We are the lucky ones. <laughs>